0: At verses 5 through 10, and and I think next week we'll get into it. I want to try to give you a little theology that um, very few people understand, and so uh, I hope that I can, by the Spirit of grace, make it clear to you. So that you will understand. Beginning in verse 5 of chapter 12. Please follow in the reading of the word of God. On behalf of such a man I will boast. But on my own behalf I will not boast. Except in regard to my weaknesses. For if I do wish to boast. I will not be foolish. For I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than what he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties for Christ's sake. But when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, help us to hear this. And Father, as we look at your scripture this day, I hope we hear. Father, uh, as you have continued to unfold this before me, and it seems to be getting bigger and bigger, uh, I praise you for that. I rejoice when you do those things. But now my heart is burdened. Let may share this in truth of my brothers and sisters, and that they would be strengthened in this. Help us, my King, to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and understand what you're about in Christ's name. Amen. How is there power in weakness? That is an interesting question if you think about it. The weaker I am, the stronger I am. Sounds like pop psychology. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know if any of you have ever noticed. Perhaps you have. Maybe you're not. Life tends to be painful. Okay. I remember years ago. I think he was a rabbi. I'm not, I'm not sure. I believe he was a rabbi. He wrote a book. Now, I don't know whether he sold a lot of them, but I remember seeing the book. And the title of the book was, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Okay, that was the title of it. I think it was a rabbi. Okay, but you know what? When I thought about that as I was in my study, I thought, you know what? That really isn't the right question. The right question is, why does bad things happen to everybody? I mean, that's the true question. And the answer, I see, I, this is why I don't write books, because my book would be one word, life. <laughs> okay, listen, I, you may not understand this, and you may not know this, or you may not pay attention to this, but you are in a fallen world with a whole bunch of fallen people. How good do you expect it to be? Okay, but now think about it for a second the thing that causes you and I our greatest stress is when we are in trials, troubles. Yet the Lord Jesus Himself said, in this life you will have tribulation. Okay? In His high priestly prayer in John 17, He said, if the world hated me, you're up. That's paraphrase. Okay? They will hate you. James tells us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Just don't, doesn't feel that encouraging, does it? It's sort of like, hey, yeah, Lee, i glad the sun's out. Life is painful. And it doesn't really matter what we do. It just goes from pain to pain to pain. You'll get a little breather every once in a while. But uh, for all intents and purposes, if it ain't one thing, you know, I was thinking this week that I just went through and I was like, I don't know that I would wish that on a person. When I got done with it, you know, I mean, I cruised through yesterday and when I left the office yesterday afternoon, I just, I said, this is stupid. I mean, it's, You know, and then you say, well, Terry, you're teaching on suffering. Shut up. I'm reading it. (laughs) Gee whiz. All right. But one of the greatest pains that we will ever feel is that that comes from people. I had to go into the doctors on Friday. I found myself very short of breath doing absolutely nothing. And I spent Thursday night coughing, I just was by the time Friday morning came, I was tickled to death, Yahoo the sun, and so I decided I'd go into the little emergency care center thing, and sure enough, I go in there and they do the poking in the ear and the nose and all the rest of it, and they test me, and I've got a pneumonia again, in my left lung, and I'm like, well, hallelujah." And then, of course, they all want to tell me, you know, this, that, and the other. You know what? Can you just make it go away? You know, well how are you going to stop doing this? I don't know. I was thinking death. You know, then I'll never have pneumonia ever again. And yet, when you or I are in our physical pain, we just kind of tolerate it and we kind of get our medicine and get us some ibuprofen and stuff like that and we press on. But what you'll find is, is that your greatest pains will come from people. And the closer the people are to us, the more that we love them, the greater the ability to hurt us. And yet, um, a lot of you guys know me well enough to know I am quite content to be by myself. I do not struggle with that. My biggest struggle sometimes is that I'm not by myself. All right. Now, I also understand that what God has called me to do, and, and that's fine. But that's part of the reason I ride a motorcycle, because you are by yourself. I mean, you got to kind of watch out for the idiots. But you're basically, you know, I don't have to answer the phone. You know, I don't have to converse. You know, uh, you know, people like to talk to you when you're driving. I don't have to talk. If I'm going to talk, I can talk to myself. And it's very uneducational. Okay, but one of the things that I do know is that God has created us. God has designed us for relationships. God did that. And in the process of these relationships, he has grown some of them to be intimate. Now, I can say, okay, here's a man and a woman. They become husband and wife. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about once you step into the spiritual realm of a relationship with another individual, there is no more intimate relationship. Because now you're dealing with the Eternals. This isn't, you know, would you like flowers for your anniversary? No, man, we're talking about, are you going to get into pearly gates before me or after me? But we were designed that way. And because of these intimate relationships... It makes us extraordinarily vulnerable. Now then, in our context, the writing of 2 Corinthians, this is where Paul is when he's writing this. He's in a very vulnerable, intimate relationship with the Corinthian believers. And the Apostle Paul is hurt badly. Okay? Okay understanding that this is the fourth letter that he's written to him. And he's already visited him twice since founding the church in his first time. Chapter 7 of this letter, he said that he was depressed of what was going on. If you go read 1 Corinthians, you can say, yeah, I would be too. He was in his deepest personal disappointment. He was in his deepest personal pain because he was being betrayed by the Corinthian church and he loved them deeply. He had been with them over 18 months teaching from house to house day and night. And yet they had fallen under the influence of false teachers who had lied about the apostle Paul and they began teaching false gospel. They began teaching lies. How do I, I know that. Well, well, In 1 Corinthians, you can see it. They were promoting sexual immorality. I'm pretty sure that Paul never taught that. Okay. A man had his father's wife. Okay. And he says, even the pagans don't do that. And you boast on it. So they had bought hook, line, and sinker the error. They had counterfeited the spiritual gifts. They were corrupting them. They're potlucks were the rich people who didn't have to go to work would come and eat all the food. And then the people who got off work when they came, there was nothing left. They would get drunk at the Lord's table. All right. I'm thinking that they've got some error in their theology. What do you think? And the church had betrayed him. And they were buying the lies and Corinth had turned from the apostle Paul. And actually embracing the false teacher. And I hate to break the news to you. That crushed Paul. Absolutely crushed him. Okay? One of the things that I probably admire the most about the Apostle Paul. And, and I hope at some point to arrive at a position that he was. Was his overwhelming passionate love for the body of Christ. Because there was nothing else on the planet for him. That was his. That was it. Right there. Nothing is in. I got nothing else. Is my love for the bride of Christ. Verse 7 of this chapter 12, we see that there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So he is describing there in that verse what this event, this heartbreaking event, crushing event was is that there was an assault by the false teachers on the church at Corinth and it had produced betrayal of Paul and he describes it in a way that he has a stake in his flesh that came from an angel of Satan now I know as a pastor I have had to deal with people who have betrayed because of lies. I know how much it hurts. And I know that there's just a lot of times there's nothing you can do about it. Why? If a person is following demonic teaching, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to do that? Okay, and what I mean by a demonic teaching is it's a lie. I don't care what it is. You know, I watched the church in, I guess it was the late 80s, early 90s, probably early 90s, bought hook, line, and sinker psychology. And I kept saying, I went to school for this. It don't fit the Bible. Anywhere, you can't make it fit. If man can fix himself, we don't need a cross. And that's what psychology says. You can fix yourself. You need to understand how to control. You can't. If you can do that, you don't need to be saved. And then everybody can say, well, I can't believe you talk like that. It's a lie. All right. And people don't understand that. Well, yeah, but look. No, it don't fix nothing. I have a friend that I, I ride with. I ride with occasionally. Uh, we kind of go back and forth. And he's a psychologist. And he's a trip. <laughs> I mean, he, he whiz. He's a trip. Okay? And, and I ask him, I said, how's your soul work going? And he says, what? Well, psychology means you're going to fix the soul. It's the study of the soul. That's what psycho means. The soul. How's that doing for you? But you know what I like about psychology? Job security. You ain't ever gonna get them fixed. So you just keep running across their insurance. I said, only difference between you and me. I don't get insurance to pay me. And God does my work. But see, you can get little things. You know, we think about, well, Antichrist and goat's head soup and weird stuff like that. And that's Satan. No, man. Satan's religion is humanism. You've got to understand that. The Satanists embarrass him. He's disguised as an angel of light. Right? He doesn't run around with upside down pentagrams. You know, I'm, I'm worshiping Satan. Well, no, you're not. He told me you embarrass him. That always freaks him out when you say that. What? <laughs> Paul had been betrayed. And the betray was so hard, so painful, that it felt like a stake in the flesh. And it was a messenger, an Anglias, an angel of Satan. Because as a pastor, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and the authority and the power of the written word, there's nothing greater than... Than people who go to a lie. There's nothing that can hurt you more. Nothing. I don't care what it is. It was This was being done by a demon. And these false teachers were following demonic teaching. And its effect on the Apostle Paul. Was to torment him. To buffet him. Paul was personally tormented by a demon that was in the process of destroying the church in Corinth. Okay? Listen. Very cursory study of the Apostle Paul. You would understand that Paul loved God so much, he did not want to see God dishonored. You would also understand because God... He loved the gospel so much, he didn't want it misunderstood. You will also understand that because he loved the church so much, he didn't want to see her torn up and divided. Because he loved those in the church, those people so much, he didn't want to see them fall to lies. Brothers and sisters, you are bombarded by lies every moment you're awake. And you can be bombarded by lies from other believers. For the Apostle Paul, that love was like a stake being driven through his flesh. It was impaling him. I mean, if you think about it, we looked at his sufferings in 23-27. through 27, Far more labors. Far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews, five times I received from the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I spent in the deep. Frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from countrymen. Dangers from Gentiles, dangers from city and dangers in the wilderness and dangers at sea dangers from false brethren, I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And those were his external, a partial list of his external sufferings. He had been in this church for over 18 months. And you know what? When I read 1 Corinthians, it says you were lacking in no spiritual gift you read the history of the city of Corinth, I will use Socrates. It was his favorite vacation spot because you had bare-chested women climbing poles and spearing pigs. What a place. And um, it used to be that if you were promiscuous, they used to call that to Corinthianize. That was the city of Corinth where God says, I will raise up a church by the Apostle Paul. He must have truly been happy for them 18 months. How exciting could that be to see these people coming out of this darkness of immorality and paganism and all of a sudden see them walking in the glory of the Lord Lacking in no spiritual gift. To raise that up out of Corinth. What a crowning achievement. What an impact on a city. What a blessing to be with people who in just pure starkness move from the darkness to the brilliance of the presence of God. How encouraging he had to have been and then after a short time of his absence to find that it falls to demon inspired false teachers you know what you and i better take warning on that you can sit and say you're strong in the faith and you understand and i have confidence and i can do this and i can do that and i can i i memorized the book of philippians corinthians fell And look who they were founded by. And if you think that you can't, then I would challenge you to read the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians. Because there is a pattern that this happens in. And I'll show you this in the weeks to come. The fruit of these false teachers was the betrayal of the Apostle Paul. Now listen, that hurts. When you have poured your soul into a person and then are betrayed by that person, there's not a pain that can describe that. But here's the truth of the matter. If you have a man of God who has sacrificially poured his life into you and then at some point you betray that person, do you understand at that same time you are betraying God? You are betraying Christ and you are betraying the gospel. You better get a hold of that. Because you'll see the individual and think, well, I just don't like that person. Well, if that person is sent by God and is walking in the power of God, doing the work of God, the way God wants it done. And you reject it. You just told God, I don't want no part of it. Now you're in trouble. Now you're in trouble. These people in Corinth, Paul himself had led to Christ. And you know what? I don't believe he can get any lower. I do not believe there's a physical pain that can match this. To have someone walk away from truth. And so in this context, you need to understand Paul is at his lowest point in ministry. He is at his greatest pain. Now, I want to share with you something. Personally, all right, that is where we learn to handle suffering. You don't learn it when you're tiptoeing through the tulips, you learn it when there's nothing but blackness around you and you feel forsaken and you have run out of your proverbial rope. If you find an individual who is in the midst of their greatest suffering, that is where to learn the lesson. And let me tell you something. It becomes crystal clear. That's what we have right here. That's what we're dealing with in 5 through 10. Now then, I want to deal with some of the theology that is behind it. It's a narrative text. So it is very practical, very, very practical. But one of the problems that I have learned and I have seen in my years is if you do not have a theological foundation to move off of, the practical becomes absurd. All right. I am going to be strong in my weakness. What? It's like the guy told me one time, I am proud of my humility. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Should I duck? So I want to deal with a little theology this morning. God is using demons to achieve his purposes. We struggle with that. We struggle with that because one of the things that I have watched the church embrace—it used to just be in little pockets, but it seems to be something that has kind of moved out now. And uh, it's—they call it uh, spiritual warfare, and it's not. Okay, I've already showed you what spiritual warfare is. All right. We think that, you know, we're going to go out here and arm wrestle some demons. There was a book written by, he was a conservative evangelical that is following the doctrine of demons is all I can figure. I don't want to mention his names, but he wrote a book on dealing with sexual immorality in the church. Okay. Okay. And, and I thought, yeah, a great book. And so I remember, uh, getting a copy of it. I have since filed it under, uh, Recycle. And, and you start into it and it talks about how men and women can, can cheat on each other in the church. this was focused on Christians and why it did. And then I think it was in chapter two or chapter three. He introduced me to Secubi and Concubi. You guys all feel smart now? One is a demon that causes men to chase other women. And one is a demon that causes women to chase other men. So I'm like, golly, I'm glad I figured that out. All right. And this book was published and everybody's saying, did you read it? I, said, nah, I got far enough into it to say, I ain't reading it. Okay. Cause you just, you just kind of thats stupid right there, buddy. That's like saying flip Wilson. Does anybody remember Flip Wilson? The devil made me do it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was behaving myself, in Pazam. okay. And yet, that's what we you're up against right now. You don't know it. People are actually walking around saying, "You know, I cheated on my wife last week," and it's that stinking demon. Go tell your wife that, and you'll see another demon. <laughs> okay, that's silliness. I, I've never seen anything like, no, I know what that is. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. In one of those orders. So I want to show you demons. You know that you're not going to believe this. Demons have absolutely no authority. Did you know that? They don't have any authority. And God has used this and done this a time or two. Let me give you one that we miss. Okay, we all know Job. Okay, we've read Job. And I've gone first two chapters and the last two chapters. And you can throw the rest of that book away. Okay. God's in heaven. And the sons of God come up. And these are Angels. And among the angels is Lucifer, Satan. Alright? And, you know, last week I made a joke and everybody thought I was, you know, he's just being funny. No, I'm serious. Satan is an Armenianist. Okay? Listen, here, here. what does that mean? An Armenianist believes you can lose your salvation. Satan believes he can cause you to lose your salvation. That makes him... An Armenianist. Okay, now don't go run and find you a Methodist and tell him that. But um, Satan believed that he could break saving faith. Alright, and if you look at the first chapter, you'll see that he was uh, um, doing good. In uh, about verse 6, he says, Now there was a day, and the sons of God came to the presence of themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them and the Lord said to Satan from where do you come and Satan answered the Lord and said from roaming about the earth and walking on it the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job? for there is no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man fearing God and turning away from evil Satan answered the Lord here's the Arminiast Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house so that all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land? Then read that next verse. Verse 11. This is the verse that we miss. Okay? Verse 11. Chapter 1. This is Satan talking. This is not red letter. This is Satan talking. Put forth your hand now. Touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Did you read that? Who was against Job? Job. When his kids were all killed, his stocks were all stolen, all of his buildings burned down, and he had a nagging wife. Whose hand was against Job? Have you read that before? You're telling me that the hand of God was against Job? No, I'm not telling you that. Job is. You ever thought about that? Wait a minute. He is blameless and righteous. But see, Satan wanted to show God that saving faith wasn't permanent. And God showed Satan that he was wrong. Satan didn't believe that salvation could last. It's only good when people are being blessed. Anybody seen that in this day and age? They're all happy with Jesus. Until something goes wrong. God used Job to prove it was permanent. That salvation from God could not be destroyed. Listen, Job didn't know why he was suffering. Read through it. He had four friends, wonderful people. Four buddies, they came. He had lost everything. His wife has convinced that Job should just curse God and die. All right? Lost it all. And then he breaks out with these stupid sores all over himself. And he's just sitting there. In pain and agony and heartbreak. And his four buddies come. And they do the greatest thing they could have ever done. They sat with him seven days and didn't say a word. They just sat with him for seven days and didn't say a word. Then they screwed it up and began talking. They decided they were going to tell Job why he was suffering. And the one thing that was still complaining in his life is the one thing he didn't lose. And then he's got four buddies that are trying to convince him that he has a secret sin someplace. And in that secret sin, God knows where it's at. And by golly, it must be a dandy. And yet the whole time, God was proving to Satan true salvation is eternal and permanent. You know what is amazing in this whole letter of Job? There's a lot of things amazing, but one of the amazing things to me in this letter, God never does tell Job what was going on. He never explained it to him. But I want you to see what Job did. In Job 42, verses 5 and 6, I have heard of you, By the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes sees you. Therefore I retract. And I repent. In dust and ashes. 42, 5 and 6. God, I've never seen you as clearly as I have seen you in my suffering. Read on down there. God blesses him right out of his blooming socks. Or sandals. Alright? Now my eyes see you. And I repent. In dust and ashes. You know why? That suffering part of Job. That was instigated by Lucifer. Was a spiritual highlight for Job. Anybody want to sign up for that one? I didn't hear any amens or nothing. All right, we'll move on to another one. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Verse 24 and following, there is a dispute among the disciples on who will be the greatest in Christ's kingdom. Okay? Okay. Who will be the greatest in Christ's kingdom? I wonder what would be the motivation behind having that discussion. Anyway. Drop on down there. Verse 31. Jesus speaking to Simon Peter. It was funny because his original name was Simon. And Jesus called him Peter. Okay. And that was his spiritual name. Peter. Okay. His... Temporal name was Simon. And if you ever watch Jesus speaking in his conversations, go check us out. You, don't, you guys think I'm making this up. You go watch him inter, interact with Peter. If Peter's acting fleshly, he calls him Simon. Okay, if he's acting spiritually, he calls him Peter. And then every once in a while it says, Simon Peter, I don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> All right. So when you read this part in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, what were they doing? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? That would be the Simon part of Peter. All right. Simon, Simon, behold. If God talks to you and says, behold. Get ready. Behold. Satan has demanded permission. Permission. To sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. And you when you have turned again. Strengthen your brothers. Okay. Now you want to know why they called him Simon. Read the next verse. But he said to him. Lord with you. I am ready to go to both prison. And to death. You know what that is? The same thing that's going on in the Corinthian church. Pride. Pride. Now listen, if the Lord of creation says Satan wants to shake you to see what falls off. Again, he's going to act like an Armenianist. I'm going to cause Peter to lose his salvation. And then he says, when you have turned back, you know what that means, right? You go through the test and you didn't wear it well, Peter or Simon. Neither one of you got through it. And if you're really honest with the context, what happens right after this time of talking? What happens? They head for the Gethsemane. And yeah, in Gethsemane, the guards come up and he takes a sword and cuts Malchus's ear off. So what you have in Peter is waffling at best. All right, but he tells him, and he says in verse thirty-four, and he said to him, "I say to you, Peter. Okay, now see what he just did, Simon, Simon, you arrogant fool. Okay, I say to you, Peter, you spiritual idiot. I'm being friendly. The rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me." I mean, I'm already going to tell you what's going to happen. And you know what? The last time Luke's gospel tells us that the last time he denied Christ, they were coming out of Caiaphas's palace, going back over Annas's place, and they were walking across the courtyard, and it says Peter denied him that third time, and Jesus made eye contact with Peter standing there looking at him. And it says Peter wept bitterly. I bet he did. I bet he did. I mean, we all say, hey, you know, Peter was hanging around. Okay, but you know what the problem was? He wasn't close enough. Because Peter, when Peter was shoulder to shoulder with Christ, he's ready. Give him any distance at all. It just went downhill fast. Why? Because he could waffle. And yet Peter would be able to strengthen the brethren. There are times when God releases Satan to work in the lives of God's people. There are times when demons... Now, think about this for a second, because I'm not sure you're getting your head wrapped around this. There are times that God allows demons to tear up what we are trying to do. Do you ever think about that? Understand what's going on in Corinth? That's the bride of Christ. It was a church that the Apostle Paul had poured himself into. And God had allowed teachers under the influence of demons to come in and destroy it. And tear it apart. Read 1 Corinthians. What a disaster. What a disaster. And here's why. God had a purpose. Now, I want you to think about this. go back to your text in 2 Corinthians because there's a a foundational truth here that I have seen a lot of people miss. It's not that I am that smart. It's just that I am so slow at getting through this text that I've read it so many times that um, I think that's the reason I'm so slow. God's like, He still ain't getting it, is He? And and then He says, Oh, He got it (laughs) right on. You can move on to verse 5. If you go look, at 1 Corinthians. Okay? I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. I am of Paul. I am of Christ. And there's divisions, there's schisms among you. All right? What causes that? Pride. Pride. So you know what you have in Corinth? A very arrogant church. Very arrogant. They were so arrogant that when false teaching came in, they couldn't see it. They had no idea to see it. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. If you're dealing with pride right now, you are as susceptible as any of the Corinthians ever were. If you allow pride to master you, False teacher can take you by your ear, flatter you with your great ministry experience and lead you to a place that is so dark you can't even believe you ended up there. And if you don't think you can't, then I rest my case because you're already there. The day you think you can't be led astray as the day you think you've arrived. And if you think you arrived, you're in a seriously bad place. Because God has a purpose. Why did God give Paul this torturous pain? To keep me from exalting myself. See? Paul, it's so amazing to me that God had a purpose in Paul's life and ministry. He makes this statement. There was given to me. Okay, who gave it to him? Look at verse 8. Have you ever thought about it? This is an amazing text if you think about it. Paul got a gift from God. Yahoo! A thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan. Yippee! That's one of those that's under the Christmas tree that you don't open. The assault of this demon through false teachers was from God. God allowed Paul to be hurt, to be hit where it hurt the most. His love for the Corinthians, his love for the bride of Christ, his love for truth, his love for Christ, his love for God. And he was seeing it assaulted by demon-influenced teaching. Because, see, you and I all kind of have it in our mind. God sends good angels and they take care of me. And I have I have nothing but good experiences because Jesus loves me. This I know. Right. Unless your name is Peter, Job or Paul. Or Jesus. See, we believe that if we're prosperous, we believe that if we're comfortable, if we're content, look what God has done for me. And I mean, we will even be crass enough to every once in a while thank Him for it. Thank you, Lord. I am so thankful. The problem is it's not biblical. Never has been. Look at history, people. Please go look at history. God's chosen nation in Babylonian captivity, Assyrian captivity, Egyptian captivity, the Philistines. Look at them today. Look what the Nazis did. That's prosperous, comfortable, joyous. And yet, what I remember reading Spurgeon wrote a book called uh, Lectures to My Students. And he says, why is it you deem you should be lifted on the shoulders of men and hailed as a hero when they carried your king out on a cross? God will use the Babylonians. I remember a friend of mine took his first church somewhere down in Mississippi. (laughs) Which, all right. Anyway, he took his first church in Mississippi and it was a a multi-generational family church. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. He he only lasted there about a year or so when he left. He says, My first church experience was the first church of the Philistines. <laughs> I was like, yay, way to go, bueno. All right. Listen, he will use these. He will even use demons, fallen angels. He will even use the individual Satan to accomplish his purposes. Listen, God was behind this pain for the Apostle Paul. Get a hold of that. Now, listen, I want to be real distinct here there are times we bring suffering on ourselves. Okay? I don't want to ever downplay that. Okay? Because sometimes I, you just want to say, "Well, what was you thinking? <laughs> how, how did you think I was going to turn out? You know, it's like the uh, proverbial, hey, watch this! Okay? And then you, you deserve what you're about to endure. Okay? You know, that's, I tell everybody right now, I can do everything I could do when I was 21. The only problem is it takes me forever to heal now. Okay, so I've sort of limited my uh, extracurricular activities. But, but But I share that because there are things we do that we can bring pain and suffering onto me, onto ourselves. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when God brings suffering on you for His purpose. And remember this one. He never told Job. he told Peter, I think that's good. Okay, he also told Paul. God was behind this terrible mess in Corinth. Okay, now, my next thing that I always go through is, why? Why would Paul have to endure this? Now listen, I want you to think about this for a second. The little Damascus road problem. What would you do? Okay, now you, what would you do if you had a zeal for a religion? And I mean, you was eat up with it. And I mean, you were going to do everything you could do for this, this practice that you were in. And you weren't going to be deterred whatsoever. Nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's holding me back. This is my priority. My top 10 things is all this. And that's what I'm going to do. And you're on your way to fulfill your little plan, and God shows up and says, "You're wrong." I don't know about you, but that would seem just a tad bit humbling. Okay, I mean, you're what? I'm wrong? Great, yeah, you're wrong. That would seem to be just about enough right there to say, "Ooh, ooh." That was close. Right? And yet, here we are, and the Apostle Paul has a thorn in his flesh to keep him from exalting himself. He was going to teach Paul some lessons that he could only teach through his deepest pain. Through our deepest pain. Is where you and I will learn our most profound truths. Five lessons that we really need to learn on suffering. And and God teaches us amazingly through pain. I'll close. We'll pick this up next week to reveal our spiritual condition, to make humble, to draw to Himself. To display His grace and to perfect His power. But I will share with you something that has been pounding on me for months now. Proud flesh will be humbled. Go read Revelations when the birds are feasting on mankind. Proud flesh will be humbled. If it is not humbled... That flesh does not belong to Christ. Got it? If he's willing to put a stake in the Apostle Paul to keep him humble, you believe you can get away with it? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for my brother Paul. Father, there's an anticipation I have to see him. And Father, I, I know I'll be overwhelmed by heaven, but This man in his humility is willing to admit that he struggled with pride. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you do bring suffering to help us, to strengthen us, to prove your faithfulness. And Father, to grow us into the image of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, my King, my Lord, my Savior. As Each of us, even in this room right now, are probably dealing with some kind of difficulty. And yet, Father, Your grace is sufficient for power is perfected in weakness. May we see Your power. In Christ's name, Amen.